Welcome to Unhindered. If you are new here or you haven't been here for most of this uh, sermon series, you may be wondering what do you mean by unhindered. So at the beginning of the year, the Lord impressed upon me a scripture out of Job chapter 42. And that scripture uh, is something that we have based this entire year on. Because as I mentioned uh, in my announcements this morning, uh, we believe that we're a church where everybody's somebody, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. And, and the anything's possible is the area that we are trying to mature our church into. It's that area of anything being possible. The things that you read about in the Gospels, the acts that you read about in the book of Acts. We want to see those become normalized. We want to see things that you have never seen and I have never witnessed become something that we see with our own eyes and experience because I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but, but the church has kind of shirked back from where we used to be and the world has advanced into areas that they didn't used to dare try. And now we have more worldly influence in people's lives than we do Christian influence in their lives. And they don't even take us serious because a lot of the things we've preached for years, we don't live out. And I'm not just talking about a Christian walk or an attitude or a demeanor. I'm talking about we say that he's a God of miracles, but where are the miracles? We say that he's a God that heals, but sometimes I wonder if when we pray, if we really believe that he will heal. Uh, I, I, I want to see things happen that, that is going to affect you directly. I, I, may, maybe I'll get an amen here. I, I want to see some of you get healed. I want to see, I I see something happen in this church that, that gets on Linda Lewis so strongly that she takes it home and Terry gets healed. That's what I'm talking about. I'm, I, I'm not, I, that's what I'm talking about. I, I, I want to see, see Bill be watching on live stream and, and get healing because a word that was spoke from here goes out. That, that's the kind of thing that happened in the, in the Bible, and we don't see that happen. Why? Well, we believe there's hindrances. God spoke to me this word, unhindered, that we need to live this life until Jesus comes to get us in unhindered ways. We're, we're trying real hard to become a church that is full of people that are living their Christian life unhindered. And we based it off of this one scripture, Job 42 and 2. We're going to read it together. Are you ready? Uh, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be hindered. That's right. So if God's purpose can't be hindered, what is hindering us from seeing exactly what it is that he said we can do? When, when people need healed, when people need deliverance, we're going to talk about a lot of things this morning, but it's leading up. I told you every sermon builds on the next one. And, and, and next week we're going to be div, diving directly into answering some of the questions about prayer. And it's questions that I have fielded in my ministry for over 20 years. People come up and say, well, if this is true in the Bible, how come this? And if this happened, how come this? And I'm going to dive directly into that. This, this morning we're going to set the tone for what's about to come for the next several weeks. I think this series is going to wrap up at the end of this month. So we've got about four more sermons in this series, and we're building up to some uh, very uh, insightful things. If you're the kind of person that likes to take notes, get ready, because I'm going to drop a lot of knowledge in the next uh, several weeks, because we are working hard to become a church full of people that is living unhindered. This week's message title 
is different than you're used to because this week's message title is uh, Getting Caught in a DUI. Some of you are like, again? <laughs> I didn't get one amen over that. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying this morning to keep you from catching a charge, okay? That actually, in this case, DUI stands for denied under the influence. Uh, denied. We're going to look at some of the things that are causing us to be denied from the blessings that the book clearly says that we should be living with. The, the Bible gives us promises and blessings, and, and we are clearly not operating according to what this book says that we should be. If we're going to live an unhindered life, there's some things that we are going to have to get out from under the influence of. Are you with me? So I'm going to begin my, my sermon this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. But before I read my text... Let me give you a little bit of background on this book, okay? 2 Corinthians. Everybody say 2 Corinthians. Okay. So the reason I want to give you some background is because what Paul is going to teach us in this text, you need to understand why he wrote what he wrote, okay? So I'm going to give you a little bit of background about the book of 2 Corinthians. Say 2 Corinthians. Okay, would it shock you to find out that 2 Corinthians actually should be 4 Corinthians? Okay, so 2 Corinthians in your Bible, you have 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, but technically, we know of at least two other letters that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, and 1 Corinthians in your Bible was actually the second letter he wrote, and 2 Corinthians in your Bible is actually the fourth letter that Paul wrote. Paul was very engaged with the church at Corinth. He lived there for 18 months. And while he was there establishing the church, he became very familiar with the people, and he, he, his heart became knit together with that area. When he left, he would continue to get messages about what was happening back at the church at Corinth, so he would fire off a letter to answer their questions or to correct some things that were going wrong. Are you tracking me? So Paul wrote the letter of 2 Corinthians, and let me tell you first of all, why why this letter is important and what the text is going to concern yourself. Because sometimes we take text out of context because we don't understand the reason that the, the writer wrote what he wrote. So let me explain to you what Paul was addressing. Paul wrote the letter of 2 Corinthians because when he had left Corinth, there was a very influential man who infiltrated the church and he began to spread rumors that Paul was not an apostle. He began to cause problems for Paul and told all the people in the church that they should not listen to the teachings of Paul. When Paul was there during the period of time between 1st and 2nd Corinthians, he had left and there was a lot of infighting in the church. There was a lot of hurt feelings. Paul was very upset and he did not want to come back to Corinth and have an uproar. He didn't know whether the people of the church at Corinth was going to believe him or believe this man. Are you tracking me? I, I know you didn't come for a history lesson, but you need to understand what he's doing. So he wrote this letter to the church because while he was gone, the church decided Paul is true and this other man is a liar. And they confronted him 
And they kicked him out of church. Imagine that. The church standing up for what's right and confronting it to their face and saying, you only come so far in the name of Jesus. But they, they excommunicated this brother, kicked him out of church because they said, Paul is telling the truth and you are lying. Paul is writing this passage to that group of people telling them, you did the right thing, but now it's time to forgive him. This brother asked for forgiveness. He came back and cried and said he was sorry for what he did, and now it's time for us to forgive him. And that's where we pick up our scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. In other words, Paul said, if you can forgive him, I'm going to forgive him, even though it was me that he did this to. Okay? For I, if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Verse 11, he says something that we should pay close attention to. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. What Paul is doing here is he is warning that church and us about the dangers that happen when we don't do and live out the will of God. When we think that being saved means we can live however we want to and we don't have to listen to the parts of the book that we don't like, that aren't enjoyable. If we refuse to forgive people, if we refuse to let go of grudges, if we don't allow bitterness to come and go out of our lives, it enables, look what he says, it enables the enemy to take advantage of us. You want to know what's hindering some of us? The devil is taking advantage of us. He's got some of us caught in a DUI. We are denied from heaven because we are under the influence of his devices. Did you see what they said? Do not be ignorant of his devices. So you are denied your prayer power, your faith level, because you are influenced by the enemy's devices. And we wonder why there's so much struggle in our prayer life. We wonder why we say things that we quote out of the Bible, but it doesn't happen. We, we wonder why we believe things that we never see in reality. It's because some of us are serving God under a DUI. There's a whole lot of us that are denied under the influence. Influence of what? The enemy's devices. See, the devil knows that if he can use enough of his devices, he can get you denied from the benefits. God's got benefits that he has agreed to give you. The Bible says he is a good father, and from him, from heaven, all good and perfect gifts come down. They are yours, and by the way, they're already established. You're not going to say a magic word to make God bless you. You're already blessed. He's not waiting on you to figure out the right prayer or fast for a certain period of time to get you where you need to be. What God has already done is released the favor. He's released the blessings. He has sent the problem, the promise. He has given his word which is his, consti his, his constitution from heaven to earth he has already signed it and decreed it and declared it it is yours 
What's hindering you is not God's inability to give it. It's your inability to receive it because something is hindering you. So let's talk about this this morning because there's a world out there that is confused. Like they don't know, it used to be that they didn't understand the Bible and they didn't love Jesus. Now they're confused about what bathrooms to use and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's ugly out there. But here's the problem. Are you with me? We have spent so much time arguing with them that we have lost sight of who we are supposed to be and what we're supposed to have our eyes on. Because whether you know it or not, I'm going to give you some information this morning. The world's never going to act right. They're never going to live right. They're never going to believe what you believe until they finally believe what you believe. Until they get saved, they're going to live like heathens. They're going to live like they are. The Bible says they will follow the Father, the Father of lies. They are deceived. Paul said they can't see what you see. They have scales over their eyes. And until those scales are removed... They will never be able to see what you see. We need to quit arguing with them trying to get goats to act like sheep, and we need to act like the sheep that he called us to be. Which is going to be one of the devices that I'm going to talk about this morning. Because too many Christians are trying to serve God, but we got too many DUIs. And that's why we're hindered. And I'm going to go back to a scripture that we have talked about since January 1. Some of y'all already know where we're going. Mark 9. We're going to talk about, I told you I would beat this scripture to death this year. Yes, I know there's more Bible to this, but we haven't got through Mark 9 yet. We've talked about this situation since the beginning of the year. If you're new here, this will be new to you. If you're not new here, this will be new to you. Because I, de- I haven't dealt with this part yet. Mark 9, chapter 14. When they returned to the other disciples, stop right there, where are they returning from? If you remember, Jesus and three of his disciples went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, remember? Now they are coming down the mountain. When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them and some teachers of religious law. Isn't it all... Ain't it always the teachers of religious law that are arguing? Y'all didn't hear me. See, if you know this passage, if you've been here, you know that Jesus is about to perform a miracle. And always, before Jesus gets ready to do something miraculous, there's always religious folks that want to argue over whether it should be done or not. There's a, It says here that The teachers of religious law were arguing with the crowd. So they were all gathered in one place arguing about religion and about life. I didn't even know Facebook was in the Bible. Verse 15. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. Jesus said, what is all this arguing about? Verse 17, one of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth 
and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. I'm going to give you this morning a list of devices that the enemy uses to hinder you. Are you prepared to receive this? Uh, let's make sure. Would you just touch yourself somewhere and say, Father, let me receive your word today. Mm-hmm. Just speak that over your life. Because you're going to need to receive this. If you, if you come at me uh, and you get upset with what I'm about to say, you won't receive it. And you're going to remain hindered. And when you pray, your prayers are going to hit the floor, not because Jesus don't love you, but because you never get past the hindrances. We've got some stuff handcuffing us when we pray. And this, I'm going to give you a list of devices. The first device that the devil uses to deny you is deficit. Deficit. And I know some of you are saying, that's right, I need more money. That's not what I'm talking about. This has nothing to do with finance. What it has to do is, If you live enough days, life will suck things away from you. You will have deficits in your existence. If you live enough days, I I don't know when it happened to me, but I realized at some point, the closer I get up toward 50, I realized why people that were 80 and 90 years old had a hard time with the world they lived in. I realized the closer I get to faith, I don't know what, what age it hit me and the light came on. I used to just say, oh, they're just old and cantankerous. But I realized that their reality has shifted to such a degree that they don't even recognize the world they live in any longer. Because deficit comes into your life. The longer you live, you lose parents. And some of you have lost children. And some of you have lost homes. And some of you have lost careers. There's deficits in your life. And the longer you live, you just have to learn how to endure and like a good soldier, just keep on keeping on. Some of you have went through more than one divorce and some of you have went through more than one bankruptcy. Some of you have had cancer and got over it just to have it come back. And it's just every time you fight through something, it's a deficit. And that's the first device that the devil uses. Somehow this little boy has gotten a devil inside of him. Can I tell you that that's not fair? I have preached for years, it's fact, but it's not fair. There are things that's going to happen in your life that are fact, even though they're not fair. And some of us have bought this bill of goods that says that it's not fair, it shouldn't happen to me. But Jesus never promised you fair. What he promised you was he would be with you all the way, even to the end, even in unfair circumstances. So this little boy has a demonic attack against him, and that's not fair. We are not told that he did anything wrong, that he opened any kind of door that caused this demon to come in. It's painful, it's dangerous, and to be honest with you, it's causing his family to live in fear that they could lose him at any time. Did you see what it said? It said it seizes him and throws him in the fire. It seizes him and throws him in the water. He gets rigid and stiff. His daddy is afraid his little boy is going to die. Have any of you ever dealt with a demonic attack against your family? We've got about three of us. Now, sometimes you're dealing with a demonic attack because somebody invited the devil in. Okay? But sometimes, sometimes it's an attack that's not fair. Sometimes it's that you are trying to do something or they are trying to do something significant for God and the devil has put a target on your back and has come against you and it's not fair what's happening to you. 
And Mark is describing a deficit that this father and son are living in. But notice, they're bringing the little boy to Jesus. Notice, notice, notice. They're bringing the little boy to Jesus, and the atmosphere is one of conflict. Here's Jesus. He approaches the crowd and says, what's all this arguing about? That's conflict. And in the middle of conflict, there's a need. So the second device is distraction. Once you have a a deficit and you decide only Jesus can make me whole, and you get ready to come and bring your deficit to Jesus to find healing or deliverance, you better believe the very next device is going to be distraction. We need to consider that this brother was bringing his little boy to Jesus, and this is a matter of life and death. This is not the same level of struggle that you get upset with when you go through Arby's drive-thru and they forgot your ranch for your chicken tendies. This is real trouble. I know you, I know you got upset because somebody cut you off in Walmart parking lot, but this is real life or death trouble. This is a bad situation, okay? And he is desperate. And I've noticed that when people get desperate, they get real dumb. Uh-huh. They start doing things they wouldn't normally do. Have you ever noticed that about yourself? Have you ever noticed that when you get desperate, you get edgy? You get touchy? Sometimes you'll start lashing out at people, and it ain't even about the people. Oh, it's just me. I'm the only one. Just to preach. Y'all pray for me because y'all are so holy. Have you ever got frustrated over the fact that you're desperate? And when you get desperate, all you can see is your deficit. When you get desperate, the reason you're desperate is because all you've been looking at is what you're missing, what you're lacking, what you don't have. So your focus gets on your deficit, even though you might be one moment away from a miracle, all you can see is what you don't have. Look look at this. What you need to learn this morning is God does some great miracles in places of great conflict. This little boy has been in this condition. When Jesus asks him later in Mark 9, how long has this been going on? They said since he was a little boy. He's been in this condition for years. And right now, finally, say finally. Finally, he is in front of the miracle worker. He's in front of the king of kings. He is going to receive his miracle. And at the moment they should be preparing to celebrate their miracle, the enemy has them in the middle of a conflict. Oh, if this don't describe my life, I'll just testify. Since none of y'all ever go through conflict, hear me out this morning. I know exactly what it's like to be asking God for a miracle, and instead of what I'm praying for getting better, it actually starts getting worse because Instead of my deficit turning around, I know it sounds like good preaching when we say, oh, and the Lord will turn it around, and we do all the gyrations, and we go through the motions, and that's good preaching, and it gets you excited for a moment. But how many of you know that sometimes you shout that, claim that, do all that, 
You can do the hokey pokey and turn yourself around, but the deficit gets bigger. That backslidden child gets worse. That marriage gets worse. Your financial situation gets worse. Because even though you're standing in the face of the miracle, there's conflict. And if you're not careful, you will miss the fact that the reason that you have been fighting like you've been fighting, and even the reason sometimes that the devil is getting you focused against fighting the wrong fight is because God's trying to bring you into what he has spoke over your life. And the closer you get to that promise, the greater the conflict will always be. See, I know some of the reasons that churches are so divided is because the enemy knows that if we would ever stop fighting with each other, and focus on the mission of the kingdom that was given to us by the master, we would be dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. But we can't get together because we fight too much. Listen, listen, listen. It never stops. We find new things to fight about all the time. We never, we never stop finding new stupid stuff to get offended at. My whole amen committee resigned over at one point. See, Christians used to fight with people over other religions. But now, we subdivide Christianity over a multiplicity of different levels of Christianity. So we get into little groups, and, and we no longer come together to lift up the name of the Lord and take the message to the ends of the earth because we're fighting over what translation of the Bible we're supposed to use or whether or not we should sing out of redbacks or off the wall or how to war, uh, wear clothes to worship. And we're fighting over dumb things that don't matter because the devil is good at using his devices to cause conflict and distraction. And that's why Paul said quit being ignorant. Don't look at your neighbor. Don't look at your neighbor. All day long, I've been real careful about not, don't look at your neighbor and say, don't be ignorant. Don't, don't do that. Can I tell you my fight is not with you? My fight is not with you. And it's not with the Baptist church down the street. And it's not with another church across town. So I don't need to spend energy arguing over nuances about the Holy Ghost with folks that are going to end up in the same heaven I'm going to end up in. I don't have the energy to spend fighting against people that God has given to me to fight alongside of me to advance the kingdom of light into the kingdom of darkness. So hear me out very plainly this morning. If you're the same skin color with me, fight with me. And if you got a different skin color than me, fight with me. If you're an old head or if you're a young kid, fight with me. If you're a female or a male, fight with me. We don't need to fight against each other. We need to be fighting with each other because this is the kingdom's purpose for his... See, the problem is, here's what happens when he get, gets you distracted. You start reacting instead of responding. Pastor, what's the difference? Well, reaction only happens after you get smacked in the mouth. A response is when you see something ahead of time and you start taking action before it happens to you. And because we're not prayed up and because we're not prophetic enough and because we don't have enough unity in the body, we're not being prepared because we've got so many distractions. See, you could have been praying 
You could have been praying. You could have been asking the Holy Ghost to come in. You could have been speaking in tongues. You could have been prophesying over the sanctuary. But instead, you're looking out the corner of your eye going, look how that sister is dressed. I can't believe she would defile the holy temple of God. And you don't know that three weeks ago she was strung out on meth. And we're just going to let her come to the house of God and get some Jesus in her. Because nobody's, nobody's perfect. So because I want to say, what I want to say is forget about the stuff that the distractions tell you to think about. Yes, there's a budget deficit. Yes, there is a holiness deficit. Yes, there is a morality deficit. But we got a whole lot more than a budget deficit in our world today that's wrong. We are severely lacking in our ability in the body of Christ to empathize with other people. We have a surplus of opinions and a deficit of compassion. Yeah, I said it. We have a surplus of information and a deficit of wisdom. Uh, see, see y'all mad at me now. So The reason is because we got too many distractions. We've got too many distractions. And there is no more fitting word for 2023 for Paul to use with the enemy's what? The enemy's what? Don't be ignorant of his. Uh-huh. There was no more fitting word for Paul to use. Enemies to distract you. You ever wonder why everything on this thing is called a feed? Because it's feeding you what it wants you to know. And it's feeding off of you what you can't afford to lose. So, so, so the, do not be ignorant of the enemy's devices. Uh-huh. So... the. the I'm no neuroscientist, but I can see that something's wrong when it's getting hard for people to focus long enough to read three sentences off of a screen. And am I the only one? I'll just tell them myself. That's been reading a magazine or a book and been trying to scroll. Am I the only one? Because I had a book open not long ago. I had all my studying out, and I had my Bibles out, and I had my commentaries out, and I looked over one of them, and I went like... That don't work. <laughs> For the young people in the room, books are these ancient ways that we used to get, commu communicate <laughs> before they put them on these. So, okay. <laughs> Some of the kids is like, what's a book? Uh, wherever there's a deficit, the enemy will send a distraction and try to keep you from discovering the solution for your deficit. Think about it like this. We have more ways to communicate, but we communicate less than ever. With real people. Oh, we're talking. We're talking to, to, to ghosts. We're, we're talking to concepts. We're talking to AI. And we're talking to people that we've never really met before. We're connecting all over the place with stuff and things and situations that aren't even real. They're not tangible. They won't add anything real to our life. And I think that's what the skyrocketing uh, addictions are all about. And I think that's what the skyrocketing sleep deprivation rates are all about. We are desperate to connect, and we call ourselves connected, but nothing can be further from the truth. 
We have a deficit of connectivity. We have a deficit of meaning and insight. And when a deficit is left unaddressed and the distractions can't keep your attention anymore, you know what happens next? The next device, you get disappointed. I have a deficit. Something's missing from my life. I've lost loved ones. I've lost my health. I've lost my home. I've lost my job. I've lost something. I have a deficit. And the enemy distracts you. He causes conflict to get your eyes off the healer. You know how easy it would have been for everybody in that crowd to get healed? Are you hearing me? I'm talking about being unhindered. Do you know how easy it would have been for every person in that room to get delivered from every demon spirit that was against them? But there was too much conflict in the atmosphere to birth a miracle. Because everybody was more focused on the distractions than the healer. And we come to church on Sundays, the healer is here. I know he's here because we ask him to come here. We make space for him to come here. So why isn't healing happening? It's not because the healer's not in the room. It's because you're so distracted by your deficit. And then when you don't get it because you were distracted, the deficit seems larger than it was before, and you get disappointed. Look at verse 18 again. His father brought his little boy to Jesus. And listen to the disappointment. So I ask your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they... I told you at the beginning of the year, I refuse to pastor the church of could not. I refuse to pastor a church that does not believe that anything's possible. I'll go to Cambodia before I do that. I'll go overseas where people still believe in miracles, but I got to see blinded eyes open and the, the, the mute to be made to speak again and the lame to be made to run and leap and praise God again. I've got to see it because it's told to me that these are the signs that will follow those who believe. And I believe. Are there any believers in the house? I thought I might get three of you. See, here's where the devil starts turning up the, the heat and your faith is in danger. Are you ready? Because you had a deficit. Say deficit. That is a need. Something's hurting. That makes a lot of people turn to church when there's a deficit. You know, right after 9-11, churches filled up because people were hurting. When, when, when somebody gets cancer, when their mama gets cancer, a lot of people that's never been in church before will run to church because there's a deficit. But as soon as they get to church... Here come the distractions. And you start chasing other things that you think is going to make the deficit feel better. I hate to keep coming back to it. But single people, Jesus asked you to love Him that you can't see more than the guy, the distraction. More than the distraction that the devil sends. How am I going to love a man that I can't see? More than the distraction that's got the six pack and the baby blue eyes. Mowing his lawn with no shirt on. Why's he got a shirt off? I don't know, but I ain't mad at it. What happens is that deficit will end 
up making you even more empty because you find out the distractions did not fill the void. When he met the woman at the well, he told the woman, no, you're right, you're not married. And the other five guys you've been with, you wasn't married to them either. And unless you get this word inside of you, I hope you like drawing out of this well because you're going to live thirsty for the rest of your days. But I'm going to give you something that will never make you thirst again. If you won't drink from the living water that I'm giving to you, then I hope you like coming back to this well because you're going to die thirsty. So a deficit will drive you to church. It will drive you to prayer. It will drive you to fasting. And it will drive you to the altar. But disappointment will drive you away from those things. Hear me. When they break up with you, you'll get disappointed. And instead of running back to church, you'll run back to something else to numb that deficit. When that overtime that pulled you away from church, when the overtime's over, you don't suddenly decide, I'm going back to God's house. Because now you feel embarrassed. Now you feel ashamed. Or you bought a boat and you're going to spend all summer on the lake instead of coming to God's house and you realize having a boat is fun in August but you live in the Ohio Valley and it's 15 degrees in January. And boats aren't real fun in that weather. And then all of a sudden what? You have been distracted. I'm talking about living unhindered here. Does that mean God don't love you? Absolutely not. Does that mean that heaven won't receive you? Absolutely not. But it does mean that when you pray and you're praying for miracles, it's going to take a whole lot more than you deciding to show up whenever you want to to get cancer to leave. And I get it. I get it because when you're watching things happen to you that you can't control, it's easy. It's easy for you to start doing things you wouldn't normally do because you want to fix it. And what the devil knows is that everybody has a limit. Everybody has a button. My wife knows where my button is. I know where her button is. I call it the nuclear button. <laughs> and I know how to get right up to it. And just <sighs> massage it a little bit. And when I see the fire begin to burn on the back of her eyeballs but it hasn't made it all the way to the front, I know, time back off. Hi, baby. Sort of like right now, if you'll take a look at her eyes, you'll see that glow beginning to start in the back of her cranium. And, and I, some of y'all are married to somebody, you're like, oh, my baby is calm all the time. You just haven't found their button yet. <laughs> Everybody has a bullying point, okay? Everybody's got something that if you hit that, you will see a totally different version of them. Uh -huh. uh, Dr. Jekyll will become Mr. Hyde real quick. And, and, and once this happens, it doesn't feel like you, right? It, so, so you've got a deficit, and, 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 and you get distracted, and now you're going through disappointments, and you start saying things, and you're like, can I just... Can we just rewind and take the last five minutes back? I don't know where that came from. I'm sorry. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? What are you doing? You're not even speaking out. You're not even mad at them. You're frustrated and disappointed because the deficit. And you're not even mad at them, but you're taking it out on them. You're taking it out on them. How do I know this? Because it happened to Moses. Moses, the man of God, he was promised the promised land. And when it, God told him to speak to a rock, he got 
frustrated. Are you with me? Y'all not helping me. I, have I out preached my welcome already? It's still early. Listen to me. He was promised the promised land and was not allowed to go in. Why? Because when he was told to speak to a rock, he hit the rock. Why did he hit the rock? Because he was disappointed and he was frustrated. There was a deficit. Say deficit. Uh, the deficit was they didn't have no water. And not having a water for 1.5 million people is a problem when you're the leader. There was a deficit. There was a distraction. Say distraction. Yeah, the wilderness sand was under their feet and they're marching around the same stupid mountain for 40 years. They're distracted by the chaos that is... So they were made a promise, but they're distracted by how long it's taken. And so disappointment starts settling in because now the people are starting to complain and Moses gets frustrated and does exactly what God told him not to. Has anybody else been there? And when you get disappointed and you get frustrated, I just got goosebumps because I remember all the times I've done it. I know I was supposed to speak to the rock, but I hit the rock. And it wasn't what I wanted to do. And it wasn't because I chose, I didn't plan to do this, but I was frustrated and I act out of my disappointment. Does anybody see how dangerous it is, but at the same time say, yeah, I've done that? Yeah. Moses missed the promise because he acted out of his disappointment. And hear me. When God spoke to him out of that bush, he never told him it was going to take 40 years. He never told him that his promise was going to take 40 years. It's real easy for you to get disappointed when God's taken longer than you wanted him or expected him to take. And, uh, spoiler alert, it always takes longer. Then you wanted it to take. Hello? And this is why I can't figure out myself sometimes. Where my attitude comes from. Because I hear it coming out of me. But I'm confused as to where it came from. Because I know I'm not mad about what I'm mad about. Because what I'm mad about ain't big enough to get me so riled up. So you understand the frustration operates when your experience is different than your expectation. Are you with me? So when you're frustrated, it's not your life you're frustrated with. It's your life in comparison to what you expected out of your life. It usually takes you 12 minutes to get to work, and today it took you 30. You were expecting 12. But because something happened, and you didn't put any margin into your trip, you didn't leave early enough to account for the, the, the unforeseen circumstances. Now you find yourself frustrated. But can I help you? You're not frustrated about how long it's taken. You're frustrated because it's taking longer than you expected it to. So it's your expectations of how life is supposed to happen, of how things are supposed to go, and how quickly it's supposed to move around that is making you frustrated. So as frustration and disappointment festers, it comes out somewhere. Uh -huh. It does. And sometimes it takes years. My oldest daughter, years and years ago, was getting a little bit sassy with me. We just flew to Chicago. Well, we drove to Chicago, flew back from Chicago. That's a long story. But we just went and celebrated her getting her Ph.D. or doctorate in uh, Chicago. 
And when she was a preteen, I had made a declaration from the pulpit that either she or I was not going to survive her teenage years. I just hadn't decided which one of us was going to go first. And one day she was getting sassy with me, and I was telling her about herself. And out of my mouth, I heard myself say, I'm not stupid. And she looked at me and said, I didn't say you were stupid. And I realized that I wasn't responding to what she said. I was responding to how I felt. So somewhere in me, I, was, I heard something she never said to me. Because when I was raised, um, when I was young, my first instinct was violence if you embarrassed me. And I would say, if you make me feel stupid in myself, if you make me feel stupid, I will, I will react with violence. And what a term, you make me feel stupid. How much power are you given to somebody else for them to make you feel stupid? And, and that's what's so hard about living the Christian walk is you hear things from the distractions that are around you that make you feel a certain way about yourself when really you're supposed to hear what the Maker said about you. I'm going to be honest with you. That's what's so hard about this job. Because I studied and I show myself approved. I, 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 I'm constantly uh, making sure that I'm in the Bible, that I'm in the Word, that I'm prayed up, that I've got the Spirit of God on me, that I ask Him to anoint me every time I come out here. And, and I, I, I can present it in a way that, that I feel like is pleasing to God, but the one thing I have no control over is whether or not you're going to get something out of this. And so every time we start a new series, I feel this anxiety because I build it up and I tell you that it's going to be life-changing and it's going to be altering to your walk and that you don't want to miss it. And then I have no idea how you're going to receive it. And so that's what's so hard because I stress over what you're going to think about something. And what it does is it leaves a deficit. I wonder how many people in your life have disappointed you because you expected them to fill a hole that only God could fill. I wonder how many people have let you down in your life because you were expecting them to bring you joy and happiness and peace and, and, and things that only God could provide for you. And so you took it out on them out of frustration when really you should have turned to God. And the Bible says that if you would have turned to Him, you would hunger and thirst no more. We're going to go back to Mark 8 and verse 19. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening, Jesus asked the father. He replied, since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us. Look at that phrase, if you can. He's talking to Jesus. And he says, if you can. What do you mean, if I can? Jesus asked. 
anything is possible if a person believes. Maybe I should have put that as one of our, uh, at the end of our core beliefs. That yes, we're a church where everybody's somebody and nobody's perfect and anything's possible. Anything's possible, what? If a person believes. And verse 24 is where I'm going to get my next two devices from. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Okay, let me give you the next device. Disappointment left unchecked leads to doubt. Okay? Look at what this father said. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. How can you believe and have unbelief? How can you have both? How can you believe and have unbelief? Here's the conflict. Here's the conflict. Are you ready? I know he can. I'm not sure he will. Next week's sermon is going to deal with the idea that prayer doesn't work because I tried it and they didn't get healed. I tried it and they still left. I tried it and I still lost the house. It has been so Long because this is what this device tells you. It's been so long. You've prayed so many times. If this stuff works, why isn't it working for you? Because disappointment left unchecked long enough will lead you to doubt. And when the enemy was counting on was that you would come to church, hear me preach this message, and not change a thing. Because doubt left unchecked leads to the last device, fear. And he knows that if you doubt God is walking with you, if you doubt God is for you, if you doubt that God hears you, you are defenseless. So he wants to get you. His devices are, he finds a way to get a deficit in your life. He distracts you from the healer. Do you understand that all of this could have been taken care of at step two? If we would have never got distracted, we could have got healed. But we allowed the distraction to lead us to disappointment, and disappointment led us to doubt, and doubt ends up in fear, and you can't have fear and faith operating at the same time. So you've been under the influence too long. You got a DUI. You want to know what's hindering you? You've been denied under the influence, and it's time to sober up. Look at your neighbor and say, it's time to sober up. Hmm? I'm going to show you how in 2 Peter chapter 5. You ready? 2 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober and alert. Your enemy, the devil. Say that next word. He prowls around. What's that next word? What? Like. Like a roaring lion. Like a roaring lion. Looking for somebody to devour. Resist him. Strong in your faith. Can I tell you what I learned a long time ago about this scripture? Old lions are not fast enough 
to catch the antelopes anymore. The old, mature male lions have gotten too slow to catch the antelope, but they're still the leader of the pride. Because they can still fight. They've gotten slower, but the young whippersnappers can't whoop them yet. So he's still in charge of the pride. And they say, and I've saw it on National Geographic, and you can YouTube it, the young lions are sent by the old lion around to the front of the antelope. The old lion stays in the back and releases a roar. Because while he's not faster than the young ones, he's still got the loudest roar. His roar is so loud, they say you can hear it in the Serengeti for up to three miles away. And his roar is so terrifying to the antelope, they run the opposite direction of the roar, which leads them straight into the pride that's been waiting on them the whole time. Now that scripture said he's like a lion. Like a roaring lion. He's an imposter. He's loud, but he's not a lion. He's loud, but he's not a lion. What's that, John? I saw a scroll that no one could open in Revelation chapter 5. And I began to cry because as one after another tried to unloose the scroll, there was none found worthy to open the scroll. But one of the elders said, John, don't you cry. Because there stood a lamb. But as he unrolled the scroll, the, li the lamb became a lion. The lion of the tribe of Jesus. So while the enemy is roaring, I wonder how many times he has roared and got you afraid running in the direction he wants you to run. When the lion from the tribe of Judah has already spoken over your life. I wonder how many of you come to church every Sunday and there's a imposter in your ear roaring that things are never going to change roaring lies to you that prayer don't even work that coming to church is fruitless I wonder how many of you have been running in the wrong direction not because you wanted to or you chose to but you were running out of fear because there's a roaring going on that has scared you to death and you've not tuned in to the right sound Here's what's about to happen at this altar. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, they were all together in one place. They were all together in one place. Together. That's why the devil hates you to get together. Because when you get together in unity, God shows up. The Bible says they were all together in one place. They had one mind and one accord. They were unified. And there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Everything that comes from heaven has a sound.
when they were together, there was a sound that came from heaven. So what's going to happen at this altar is some of you that have been running scared, you've been distracted. I don't know, some of you, your deficit has gotten so big, you're hurting so much, you don't even know how to handle life anymore. The distractions have got you you've made it all the way to doubt and some of you in this room no doubt are operating under the spirit of fear you need to come to this altar and here's what's going to happen when you get here there's going to be a prayer team gather around you and when you're all unified in one place in one mind in one accord there's going to come a sound from heaven that is going to be louder than all the voices of hell that's telling you to give up and quit and back down and be afraid there's going to come a sound from heaven. I, I just feel this in my spirit. There's going to be a sound in heaven, from heaven that's going to come in and invade your spirit that's going to cause you to block out all of those voices that's been telling you to be afraid and to doubt and to live in a way that you know is not pleasing and is hindering you. So I don't know what you're waiting on, but if you're here, and you need to pray your way through a deficit. You need to pray your way out of disappointment. You need to pray your way out of doubt and fear. I want you to get up and get to this altar. I'm not going to prolong this. I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm, I'm opening the altar. I want you to get up here and the prayer team's going to come and meet you. And prayer team, I want you to pray. I know we don't often do this, but I want you to pray out loud. I want you to be prophesying uh, over them. I want you to pray uh, with, with ferociousness and, 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 and I want you to be speaking the word over them. And here's why, because I want you to drown out all the lies. I want you to drown out all of the fear. I want you to drown out all the voices that hell has been trying to tell them to quit. But we're not going to let them quit today. We're going to join together. And we're going to unify together. And we're going to believe that the sound coming from heaven is going to drown. Are you ready? Get on down here. Don't wait on me any longer. This is your moment. This is your time. This is your... Quit operating under the devices of the enemy. Stop. The enemy has held you long enough. There's no shame in this, by the way. I don't want people to think I'm, no, no, no. We ain't going to think nothing. We're just, we're going to be making a noise. Prayer teams start making a noise. Praise teams start making a noise. And as you, and as the noise and the praise goes up, there's going to be a sound that's going to come that's going to drown out the voice of hell. And you're not going to be able to listen to hell any longer. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I proclaim freedom, liberty. Release in this place, Holy Ghost.